Revelation 17. I just want to read the whole chapter together because it's very difficult. I'll read it for you or I'll stumble through it for you. And uh, we'll take it from there. 17 verse 1. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came to me and said to me, now the, one of the angels from the seven bowls, you had to read chapter 16 to know what he's talking about. The bowls of wrath. We just went through the seven bowls of wrath, right? That got poured out, ending with a hundred giant hailstones that just got smashed on people, right? And they still didn't repent. Okay, so that's one of those angels who had the seven bowls of wrath and came and said to me, come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters. With her, the kings of the earth have committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her indul- adulteries. The angel, uh, then the angel carried me away in the, in, the, in, in the spirit into the desert. Then I saw a woman sitting on the scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones, and pearls. She held a golden cup, and in her hand filled with abomination, abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. And this was what was written on her forehead. Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother, of pro, uh, the mother of prostitutes, and the abomination of the earth. And I saw the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of those who bore the testimony to Jesus. <clears throat> when I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Then the angel said to me, Why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and the beast that she rides, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast which you saw once was, now is not, and will come up out of the abyss and go to his destruction. Thank you. So much clearer, angel. The inhabitants of the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world, will be astounded when they see the beast because he once was... Now is not, and yet will come. See why I want to read this whole thing to you? This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet to come. But when he does come, he must remain for a little while. The beast, who once was and is not now, is an eighth king, and he belongs to the seventh, and is going to his destruction. Now, I am not a math major, and those of you math people, can you add and subtract all this good stuff? This is fun. Now, lastly, the ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who from one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. Now, this is very important. Verse, chapter, verse 12, right? The ten horns you saw are the kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. They will have one purpose, and will give their power and authority to the beast. They will make war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will overcome them, because He is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Period. End of story. And with Him will be His called, chosen, and faithful followers. Then the angel said to me, The waters you saw where the prostitute sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute, They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked, and they will eat her flesh and burn her with fire, for God has put it into their hearts to accomplish His purpose by agreeing to give the beast their power to rule until God's words are fulfilled. The woman you saw is the great city 
that rules over the earth. <clears throat> so in the next uh, 20, 30 minutes, we'll go ahead and figure this whole thing out. Right? First of all, chapters 17 and 18 are dealing with Babylon. Babylon. They're going to give you the big picture, and then we'll kind of just take out the major portions of it. Babylon, it was many things in the Old Testament. It was the city around Babel. I mean, it was the city of Babel. Remember Babel? It was that area around it. Remember, this uh, is the center of civilization after the flood. Everybody gathered together around Babel, and it was headed up by this guy named Nimrod. Remember Nimrod? Wonderful guy, the mighty hunter before the Lord. Anyways, he goes and takes all the people, and they gather together, and they build this great tower in defiance of the Lord. That was uh, the area of Babylon. Then many centuries later, one of the most notable empires he had was the Babylonian Empire. Remember, they had conquered a whole bunch of areas. They took out the Assyrians, and, and basically, uh, remember, that's where the Jews were exiled to, into Babylon, which is actually modern-day Iraq. Modern-day Iraq is kind, of, is kind of the area of Babylon. Remember that uh, Nebuchadnezzar was sitting there in, in the middle of Babylon. He was looking at his great city. So Babylon was also just an actual city. He was looking at a city that he built. And he said, oh, man, how awesome is this? Look how wonderful it is. Look what I've done. And he didn't give God, God glory. And so God turned him into an aardvark for, you know, for seven years or something like that. He just started around eating. You know, he, he just lost his mind and turned into an animal for seven years until he gave God the glory. Then he restored his, his, uh, his mind. We read about the empire of Babylonians and King Nebuchadnezzar in the books of Daniel and the book of Daniel and other places. And then there's also Babylon 5. Remember Babylon? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, come on. Seen if you're awake already. Some of you are like. So Babylon was the cradle of civilization after the flood. It was, the, it was an empire. It was a city. It was all these things. Obviously, uh, the cities in modern-day Iraq. Babylon is mentioned 187 times in Scripture. And it's the most of any other city mentioned except for Jerusalem. So Babylon is, is, is a literal city by the literal Euphrates River. And it's kind of interesting that uh, uh, Saddam Hussein started to rebuild it during his reign. I don't know how far he got. I didn't check up on it. But he got, uh, he got kind of sidetracked there towards the end. But it was associated with organized idolatry, blasphemy, and the persecution of, of God's people all the time in scriptures. Babylon as a symbol in scriptures, whenever you talk about it, it always talks about the world. In other words, the world system. If you want to know what the world is all about, you look at the Babylonian system. You look at the, the Babylonians. If you want to know what makes this world tick, you can just look into the roots of everything we are and it goes back to Babylon. It's pretty, it's pretty interesting. In the New Testament, we have several scriptures that speak about the world. And again, when I say world, I don't mean geography. I'm talking about, uh, I'm talking about the kingdom of man in opposition to the kingdom of God. What the, this world is all about, how it ticks. What makes us run day to day, all our systems, what we go after as fallen human beings, the, the, the kingdom of man, the world is, is referred to in scripture. Obviously, it's not talking about Antarctica or Hawaii. It's talking about you know, our social and cultural and, and just, just the heart of man, the world. And in 1 John 2.15, it says, do not love the world or anything in the world. 
If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the, eye, uh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. That's where all that junk comes from. The world and its desires, they pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Interesting. This world that we're living in, its systems are going to pass away. They're going. He's saying if your heart's set on this place, if you're acting and living as if you're a part of this kingdom, you too will pass away. But if your heart is reflected in a relationship with Jesus Christ, you will live forever and will be demonstrated in your works. So obviously when, this, when John's talking about the love of the world, he's not talking about don't love your mom and dad or your cat or, you know, all these types of things. He's talking about the system and he's talking about all these uh, things that make us in rebellion against God. And so when we start reading about Babylon here, know that it's talking about far more than a city. It's using that city as an idiom for, for evil, for man for all of its religious uh, and, and political and commercial uh, problems and all it is. Uh, it's talking about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the things that are not uh, gods that people live for. It's talking about a world system that encapsulates all the things that are in opposition to God. Specifically, chapter 17, what we're reading about, is referring to the spiritual Babylon. The spiritual part of it. And we get to 18, all of a sudden it's going to move over to more of a commercial Babylon. So it's dividing it up into two sections. The spiritual, it's going to talk about prostitution, idolatry, and all these things. Obviously you're going, what? Physical prostitution? No, it's a spiritual thing they're talking about. And then when they get into the commercial side of it, it's going to be talking about greed and, and desire for things and all these things that man go after, okay? So 17 and 18, divide those two in your mind. Keep in mind right now in 17 that's talking about spiritual Babylon, this false world system that's going to come about. And we'll get into how that happens here. And so let's begin with chapter 17, verse 1, dealing with this false religious system that's going to be in full swing during the Great Tribulation. 17, verse 1, one of the seven angels who had seven bulls, again, that's the seven bulls from chapter 16, came and said to me, come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits by many waters. With her, the king of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adultery. First, the woman's identified in some non-flattering ways. First, she's a prostitute. Now, a prostitute, as you know, is a person who gives false affection. A person is trying to meet a need that should be met in a different situation. In the confines of marriage, right? The real deal. She's identified as a prostitute. There's appearance, there's an appearance of true love, but it's empty and self-seeking. She's also, secondly, she sits on many waters. And as we read, read already in, in, at the end of chapter 17, many waters represents many people, nations, tongues, nations of the world. She, sits, she has influence over all these things. This world system, this prostitute has, has influence over this. Next, she's identified as having committed adultery with the kings of the earth. So there's something that she has that the kings are drawn to. Lastly, all the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Her product was intoxicating. Her product was intoxicating. Everybody 
was addicted. You know, it was at uh, Marx that said uh, religion is the opiate of the people or something like that, you know? That's true. False, empty religion is the opiate of the people, but a true relationship with Jesus Christ, that's not an opiate. That's the real deal. And as we see in a moment, uh, it's this, this uh, system is very powerful. It's very luring. And obviously this is not speaking of a literal woman. And so the angel tells John that he is not, he's now going to show him the punishment of the great prostitute. Okay, so he explains a little further in verse 3. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. Similar to Jesus there. And there I saw the woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. Now, sometimes I find it easier reading these chapters to read the end from the beginning because all the answers are at the end of the chapter. Anybody teach you like, how to study in college? Don't read all the stuff. You just read the first line of everything and then the last chapter and it tells you everything that just happened. Sorry about that, kids. You know? <laughs> Don't waste your time studying. No, 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 you do want to go to this. But... Carried him away. So I find it easier to read the, the last part of it sometimes. Um, in verse 18 tells us, uh, the woman you saw in the great city, the woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kingdoms of the earth. So it identifies this woman is a great city. And obviously it's so much more than that. And so this woman Babylon is sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. Now, if you're just trying to figure that out on yourself, you're going, what is that? But the Bible interprets itself. Just go to the scriptures, do the word search thing, find out what the Bible says about this guy, and you're going to find out that this beast we know from chapter 13 is, is whom? Seven heads, ten horns, scarlet beast came up out of the... Anybody? It's the Antichrist, right? The beast, as he's referred to. So she's sitting on the beast. Now, obviously, he's not... He doesn't have a saddle and she'd ride him. And it's just like, this is, her system is, has a relationship with him. He's a political figure with political power. And so these two are drawn together for a reason, and which, which is explained here. So Babylon and the Antichrist have an important connection. She's riding the beast. The beast is that, the beast is, that politi- is political in power. He has a relationship with the woman, uh, who in chapter 17 represents that false religious system. And verse 4, The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold and precious stones. So the city was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold and precious pearls and stones. Now, if we skip ahead and compare the description of the New Jerusalem in Revelation 21, remember that? You guys, anybody read ahead? Revelation 21, this new city comes down, and this is important. We will see some of the great similarities. One, and then I'm going to read this in chapter 21, verse 9. One of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came to me. So this is one of the same angels and said, Come to me, I will show you the bride of the wife of the lamb. Very interesting. I'll show you the bride. And he begins to describe the bride. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem. The bride's likened into the holy city, Jerusalem. I don't understand this, but we'll get there when we get there in, tw- in verse 21. Coming down to God out of heaven, it shone the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal, a brightest white like no launderer could ever imagine. Very interesting. 
It had a, a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. And obviously it had gates of pearl and all these things, right? And so Babylon, the city of man, was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls, very similar to the New Jerusalem. We'll get there in chapter 121, but there seems to be a correlation between this uh, New Jerusalem and the Babylon. Babylon's a counterfeit for what God really has. The city of God is described as being like Jasper, this clear, beautiful crystal. A white radiance. Whereas Babylon, the city of man, is wearing scarlet, stained with the sin and blood of the saints. There's a difference there. I can't help but think of the verse. Uh, first, uh, was it uh, Isaiah 118? Come, you know, reason, let's, let us reason together. Though your sins are scarlet, they shall be made white as snow. And that's who we are in the redeemed. We're no longer stained with, the, with, the, with, the, with sin in, in, in all the things we have. We've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. How does that work? Don't know. It's a mystery. We're clean. We're white as snow. Those who have not remain guilty, remain in their sin. Babylon, it looks like the real thing. It feels like the real thing, but she's a prostitute. Think about this. She tells you what you want to hear. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet. She was glittering with gold and precious stones and pearls. Friends, this false religious system, it resembles the city of God, which is where God himself is. Babylon resembles godliness. It resembles it. It kind of reflects it. It looks like it. It will be enticing. But like a prostitute, it's going to be empty. It's not the real deal. And so it is with the world and its riches and its lust. It looks so good. Doesn't this world look so good and all the shiny and pretty and everything running around? Anyone? Just me. Okay. <laughs> it does, man. If I have this, then I will be satisfied. If I just do this, I'll be satisfied. If I go to this church or if I experience these spiritual things or if I, you know, if I have this car or if I get this job and meet this thing, it's all going to, Yes trade these stocks if i do these things it's all shiny and pretty not to say that some of these things are bad in and of themselves but when they are the goal we're deceived it's emptiness any of you experience emptiness after a life of following after these pursuits if i can just be the biggest and the baddest if i can get to the top it's lonely at the top <laughs> it's hard It's going to look so good, this religious system. But when you look inside, verse 4, and she held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her iniquities. The name written on her forehead was a mystery Babylon. Babylon the Great. It was a mystery, mysterium. It was spiritual. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes, and of the abominations of the earth, not the mission statement I want on my wall. This title is not for the literal Babylon, but it's spiritual. The identity of this religious system is identified as being great and the mother of prostitutes and abominations of the earth. So, But this title, it tells us a lot about this religious system. Now, 
Now think it's great. Now some try to pin this on a certain, you know, religion. And I don't, I don't go for that because I think it's a lot bigger than that. I think it's an ecumenical movement. I think meaning a, a, a conglomeration of people under one banner that looks pretty. This harlot must be larger, this one person said, this harlot must, must be larger than any one branch of religious institution. She is an embodiment of Satan's own ecumenical movement, the religion of the world system. You might be going, how in the world can everybody be suckered into a religious system? I think we have to remember a couple things. It says the nations will be intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Wine totally like, you know, you drink too much of it, and what happens? You become intoxicated, you don't think right, you start drawn to things that you shouldn't be drawn to, right? Emotions are all over the place. Something about the system will entice people, will drug people, will draw them to it. And perhaps the reason why people are going to be drawn to it is because of that fatal wound the Antichrist receives and resurrected. It's like, oh man, we must get under this guy. How in the world can he die and rise again? That's a possibility. Again, that's just my thought. Also, I think the mindset is already here. The mindset that says, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe. I'll tell you, my generation, it's all about tolerance. It's all about, you know, hey, just as long as you believe, that's good for you. Don't want to offend, right? Now, I am of the ilk to where I want to respect other people's right to choose. God has respected their right to choose on whom they worship. God has given them the right to be wrong. Amen? God has given them the right to be wrong. But there's this power that's already at work in the world that says, you know, that the nations will be intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. And we see already here a mindset, that mindset. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe it, that philosophy. This makes people right for the seduction. We see the casual disregard for the truth crippling the church for today. A casual disregard for what God says. It's already crippling the church as a whole. Keep your religion personal. How many of you believe that you should keep your religion personal? What did Jesus say? Jesus said, go and make disciples. Yes, it's a personal relationship, but it is not meant for just you. It's meant to spread and shine your light. You are the salt of the earth. The salt loses its saltiness. It's nothing good except to be thrown on the ground, be trampled. Our Christianity is meant to be evangelistic. And that goes against our grain. But Jesus, look at his life. He didn't come to have a personal relationship with himself. He was with the Father, and what he did affected every single person he ran into. Some he could heal, some he didn't. Some he showed miracle to, some he teach. Some he fed, some he didn't. But as the Father led. How salty are we really, you know? Lastly, she's identified as the mother of prostitutes and the abominations of the earth. And this is a really important point. Idolatry has its roots in Babylon. It birthed prostitutes, which are false religions and abominations. Again, a prostitute gives false love, a pseudo-affection, right? That's what she does. 
While all the original, and this is very interesting, all the religions of the world, they try to appease man's need to be forgiven and to commune with God. Look at every single religion. The need to be forgiven. The need to commune with God. It's in us. Whether you, whether you agree with that statement intellectually or not, you look at humankind, that's what it is. Every single religion. But they're prostitutes. It's not true. They're false. I know this seems very dogmatic. Give me a minute, okay? Please. I don't say this flippantly. I know there are tons of people you know, reflected in all these things who are good people. I understand the social and moral dilemmas. I understand the ethics of it. I'm not saying these things lightly, and neither does God. But they can be summed up as false religions because, why? Because they're man's attempt to make himself right with God. Man's attempt to make himself right with God. You remember in the garden what happened? Whatever you do, don't eat of that tree, for the day you do it, you shall surely what? Die. And they go ahead and they have a party and they, you know, they make apple cider, whatever they were doing. They went crazy, right? And they became naked. And what happens when they became naked? They hid themselves. They realized they were naked. They realized their sinfulness. They hid themselves and then they covered themselves up. They hid from God. They covered themselves up. This is man's religion. Fig leaves. That's the very first, the origins of it in Scripture. When we try to deal with our sin in our way, we end up hiding because of sin, and we also end up covering it up in our own ways, and we walk around looking at our own fig leaves. Look what I've done to cover my sin. And God comes to them, and he says what? Where are you? Now, does God know where they are? Yes, he knows where they are. But God initiates. He comes to them. He says, who, who, why are you hiding? He, he knows why they're hiding. Did someone tell you that you are naked? No, we ate of the, did you eat of the tree that you shouldn't? Yes, we ate of the tree. And what did they do? They started blaming each other and all this stuff, right? So God started dealing with them one-on-one. Because you did this, all these things will happen. Now the big picture is God had to kill an innocent animal there in the garden and cover them. It's God who has to cover us, not us covering ourselves. Man's attempt at religion is our covering ourselves. And if you look at every single religion on the face of the earth, it is our attempt to cover ourselves and work our way back to God. Whereas the Bible, Christianity in the New Testament, Jesus Christ was God coming down to man. Not man working his way up to God. God came down to man sacrificed his son and made a covering, a forgiveness of sins for us. The only way, not by our works, but by grace you are saved. That's it. Now look at these religions. Mormonism. It's great people. Amen? Don't have anything bad to say about them. We're probably going to have one, well, we, you know, pretty much... Uh, you know, probably have one running for president. But the theology, you get below the surface. The cup on the outside is gold, but you get down to the middle and it's full of, full of adulteries and filth. How can you say that? Look at what they teach. That basically, 
you get married to your wife in the Mormon temple, and that's why they have these temples, and that's why you can't go in it. And they have all these different things and rituals where they touch you in weird places and bless your parts and all this stuff. Anyways, they get you in there. You, you marry them, and then when you die, you will go on to a celestial kingdom where you, as a husband, will have eternal sex with your wife and populate planets with spirit babies. And so you will just be like God was to Adam on the earth. That is the religion of Mormonism. You get past the underneath. Yes, great people, work ethic, all this stuff. But what they believe is man's attempt and you will become God. It's a lie. Jehovah's Witnesses, I'm telling you, one after one, they claim the Bible, but their Bible is written by people and change things to where it works. You have to go out every single Saturday. You have to earn salvation. And hopefully at the end, you will be able to be here on earth and to serve the 144,000, right? It's a works-based thing. They don't know grace. And I'm not knocking them. Some of them are the the nicest, greatest people. My best friend growing up, Tyler. Jehovah's Witness. I love him. Fred Sweet, our elder, was Jehovah's Witness. Steve. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just saying. Is a Jehovah's Witness. No, I'm just saying... When they come knocking at your door, I hope you're not smacking them upside the face and, and being evil to them. They are desperately trying to reach God like every single person on the earth who has fallen, like Adam and Eve. I can go religion after religion, even in this, this room, in this situation, our attempt, if I don't go to church, if I don't tithe, if I don't these things, then at the end of my life, then God will, you know, I'll be smited. It's a lie. That's man's attempt. This is God's grace. That God came down and met you where you couldn't, couldn't be. He came in and started asking you the question, did you bite of the apple? You didn't go seek him out. You were hiding. He came and saw you in the darkness of your sin and started shining light in your life. Why? Because he loves you. Why? I don't know. <laughs> I say that rhetorically, right? Why does he love me? Gosh, there's really nothing to love. You know? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He looked upon you and had mercy. I want to save you. But you can't earn it. You have to receive it. How do I do that? By saying yes. But that means that I can't earn it, correct. And everything within us says what? But I've got to earn it. I've got to earn it to be good enough. No, just receive the forgiveness. Just receive it. I died for you. Anything in addition to that is wrong. It's man's attempt. It's from Babylon. It's from the pit of hell. Whether you had good intentions or not, there's only one way. Jesus said the way hell is wide and broad and many go down it and the road to eternal life is narrow and few find it. Few find it. So when you look at the hierarchies in, let's just say, you know, in in, in churches, oh, I am Bishop so-and-so and I'm all this type of stuff. I am Pastor Matt and you are And come to me, and I will 
talk to God for you and you will be forgiven. Excuse me, Hebrews and the scripture teaches that Jesus died to abolish that. You go kick the door into the throne room and run into your father's arms and say, God, help me. And he will forgive you. He loves you. You have access to the throne room of God for the blood of Jesus Christ, period. And I'm just a servant here. I'm with you. We're, we're ministers all together. God's just given me a position to where, uh, of, uh, basically because he gets a lot of glory knowing that I'm a, you know, what in the world, he, you know? I mean, just talk to anyone I work with or my wife. I mean, God's just, God's pretty cool. His grace. That's why Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners, that his grace could be poured out through me. So let's get to the end. Babylon is the root of all these false religions, man's religions. Forgiveness is what we need, not fig leaves. If you think that spiritual Babylon is not at work, even in our culture, even in a Christian culture, take a look again. We just got done celebrating Christmas and Easter. Like what? No, we Christianized pagan, pagan Babylonian things. Nowhere in the scriptures does it say to celebrate those two things. Now, this, now oh, oh, i got to catch you. What? He just said don't celebrate the, the birth of Christ. It doesn't say to celebrate the birth of Christ. It records it as history. Celebrate the resurrection. We celebrate that every day. That is our life. That is who we are. We are risen because he will be risen. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. Now to say a day, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll take a day. I'll grab you all in here and preach the gospel to you. Sure. But I'm saying, look at the things that we incorporate. Think about it. I can't even get into all that right now. The fig leaves. Let's stop there, okay? Um, and let's, uh, let's pick up next week, and yeah, I'll try to get through everything. But Father, we love you. And we don't want anything false in us, Lord. And if we've been led astray, we ask that your word would cut through our hearts, that you'd come to us in the garden, so to speak, and say, where, where are you? What have you been doing? Why are you covering yourself up? Let me cover you. Let me make it all better. You can't do it yourself. You can't make yourself good enough. We can't earn it, God. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but you washed it white as snow. And again, I always want to offer it. If, if, none of you, if anyone in this room has not received Jesus Christ, they haven't just said yes to Jesus, give you the opportunity. Raise your hand. Say, I want to receive Jesus. I want to be forgiven. It's not something you earn. It's something you receive. 